0: Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on twitter.com at Braden
1: Gall. And I'm Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now. You can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore.
0: So, Michael, my voice is a little shot today, uh, but we're going to have some fun. I uh, hope everybody had a great holiday. hope everybody's looking forward to the new year. New year uh, up late with a six, seven year old. Uh, always a pleasure and a joy the night before a show, early in the morning. Uh, so, the voice is completely shot. It's uh, funny because uh, no one can see your video and all I see is steam rising up towards you. <laughs> oh, lots of tea. There's lots of tea happening right now. It might even be Russian tea. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of things to discuss today, most of which are com- going to come off the 5-2 to two loss to Carolina. This is still a team that is above 500, still a team, the Nashville Predators, that is in the playoff hunt. They have lost three out of four since you, me, and Emma Lingen sat down and had our conversation before the Christmas holiday. Of course, they lost to Vancouver that night after having such a fun conversation. Uh, They came back and beat Philadelphia on the road on Thursday, lost to Dallas, and then gave up three power play goals and six power play opportunities to Carolina and Roman Yossi and Andrew Burnett after the game and everybody basically to a man saying, look, we just can't be on special teams that often. We felt very good about our play five on five. That doesn't help when you give up three power play goals. So kind of everything, Michael, comes off of that game. I've got questions about UC Soros in the future. Not necessarily bad ones, probably all good ones, all good options for the Nashville Predators, um, as as well as a few other things. Again, penalty kill momentum versus the break, uh, but also Yaroslav Askarov, just just a guy that Nashville absolutely deserves. And ultimately, before we get started, um, the gold standard, Michael Gallagher, is brought to you by a place I have now been to three times, Jasper's. Do you think you had as much fun at Jasper's as Yaroslav Askarov did at a Russian bathhouse in Chicago?
1: I don't know, man. I think Askarov can have fun doing pretty much anything anywhere. He's the—he's got that personality that he just makes everything fun. Well, we're gonna spend a lot of
0: time on Askarov because I think he is. Maybe we amazing. can get Askarov to go to Jasper's with us, uh, dude. He would be—it would, be ab- would be absolute <laughs> gold. It would be absolute gold. Like he doesn't, he doesn't speak a ton. Like he understands English very well, obviously, yeah. uh, but he doesn't speak a ton. Like you know, like most Russian players early in their careers, they're not trying to be, they're not trying to say a whole lot of stuff all the time. It's not really their mo. Um, but we'll get into the Russian bathhouse. We'll get into Askarov. We'll get into Saros. We'll get into all that stuff. But I'm just curious. I think let, let's hear more about this experience at Jasper's. You took a photo of the front door, oh. which in theory, when I first saw it on Twitter could have been the exact same photo you took last time you went and maybe you just reused it and repurposed it there was no time stamp you could have just been faking it the whole time
1: i could have but i uh i, I wouldn't have any fun stories to come on here and talk about if i did that plus if you zoom in because jasper's front door is very reflective with the glass you zoom in you could definitely tell i was wearing different clothes so oh
0: okay so if you get the fo- photoshop analysis looked at you can see that it's different yes. All right, what did we do? What did we do at Jasper's? How, how give, give me the whole rundown. It was really good. So I
1: I'm I'm a big burger fan and there were there were a few things I wanted to try, but I went flatbread last time, so I wanted to try the patty melt. And it wasn't what I was expecting because it came out with like a half a loaf of bread, like this big patty sandwich in between a half a loaf of bread basically. It was really good. I got some of the uh, the tornado fries that I was talking about um, I don't even remember how long ago it was. My very first time I went to Jasper's, they, they, call them, they call them potato wedges. I'm going to call them potato fries because they're this weird swirly shaped. Um, my wife uh, wasn't too hungry, but she wanted to try their, their queso. So we got some chips and queso too, which was probably my favorite part because the mm. queso had this smoky flavor. There's chorizo in it. For those of you that never had queso with chorizo in it, you're missing out. Go to Jasper's and try it. It was really good. They give you some uh, tortilla chips and some pork rinds. So if you want your your normal chips, or if you want something a little bit saltier and crunchier, um, but yeah, it was really good. the The patty melt was a lot bigger than I thought it would be too. I'm used to like a small, you know, burger that barely fits in fits in your hand. Um, so if you want good food, big portions, go to Jasper's.
0: There you go. You know, there's like two different types of queso. There's like cheap Mexican restaurant queso that turns into something you could probably build like a a house foundation out of like you could use it as like mortar between bricks you know did you know that that's just white american cheese sure yeah i mean it's no i mean
1: obviously (laughs) that's why it turns it congeals like that because it's literally just white american cheese
0: there is like this there's then there's restaurant level queso and restaurant level queso will stay like even if it starts to get room temperature it will still stay creamy it will not harden up. And you can, that is the signature defining characteristic of high quality queso versus cheap Mexican restaurant queso. And we've catered a bunch of events at our house through Jasper's. And every time, even though I drive over there and grab it and drive back and give it, and they'll deliver it to you, by the way, but I like, I'll just go over there and get it because I live close by. And so I bring it back for the group. And even after the 10 minute drive or whatever and getting the time to set up and, getting all the the fancy stupid dishes that my wife has to put things out in because you know human beings have to eat out of fancy stupid dishes when we gather i don't understand it but it's still in perfect shape warm and and uh, uncongealed and creamy and delicious it is Amongst the best queso in the city, so go to Jaspers, everybody. And the
1: good thing about it too is you you get everything. So there was cheese, which was the, the foundation of the queso. There was trees at the bottom, which was really good. There
0: was salsa, and there were beans on top, and you mix it all together. And you, there's there's a bite for everybody. Oh, there's no it's yeah it's it's substantial. It is substantial. Much much like the opponent's power play against the Nashville Predators, it is Ooh. substantial. Uh, okay, so everything coming off this game. First and foremost, and I want to ask you just in general, because there's an old theory, and I've talked to all these guys like Hal and Chris Mason and J.P. Dumont and Stu Grimson, all these guys I used to work with when I was at 102.5. I I said, look, what's the theory? What do you subscribe to? Do you subscribe to rest or do you subscribe to momentum? And I think it depends on the time of the year. I think it depends on the player. This team is healthier to some degree after the rest. It probably needed it as a young team breaking in a new system. But they've lost three out of four. They come back and they were pretty sloppy. And I think one of the things Brunette said after the game losing to Carolina was just like, these are bad. It's not it's not like effort penalties, you know, where you're busting your ass and you're working hard and like you just kind of slip up and make a mistake. And all of a sudden you take a penalty like these were just dumb, lackadaisical mistakes and they led to six power plays. So I guess ultimately, did you see a sloppier team and a bad penalty kill because of some rest? Do you think it hurt the momentum? Do you think they're healthier? Uh, where, where do you stand philosophically on the rest versus momentum question that is sort of an age-old one in the hockey world?
1: I think for, for especially for this Predators team, I would subscribe more to Rest is Better just because they have been banged up quite a bit this season uh, with um, Cody Glass and Tommy Novak. And then you had Ryan McDonough and a couple other guys. Luke Shen missed a, a substantial amount of time. <clears throat> but I don't think that this, this was something that rest would have done them better they had i think it was like four days with the, with the christmas break uh, in between the the loss to dallas and then last night's loss to carolina i feel like with where that where they're at trying to learn this new system um, we saw how good this new system can work during their 13 and 4 run or whatever it was over the last you know two three weeks i i feel like for them they're at they're at the stage of the season where momentum is probably better for them give them more reps give them more games a lot more time. Practicing because I feel like I don't want to say they've mastered what Andrew Burnett wants to do offensively, but I feel like they got a pretty good grasp on it now. So taking four days away, you're sitting on your couch, you're enjoying your family, you're eating bad food, you're doing all the all the fun stuff that you do around the holidays and stuff. I don't want to say they come back and they were a little rusty, but they just Andrew Burnett hit the the nail on the head last night in post game. He said that they were doing a lot of the things they were doing at the beginning of the season where they were taking dumb penalties. They're allowing other teams to cash in on those penalties and they weren't producing or weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing offensively. And I feel like that was the definition of the
0: Carolina loss. Yeah. And I think I, I, I agree. I think it's sort of case by case. It's, it's sort of like, if you have a team that's fighting for a playoff spot and it clinches a playoff spot and it's been busting its ass for, you know, whatever, like, 74 games and all of a sudden they finally clinch at 78 games and they've got four games off and they kind of can take a couple of games off. Like, does that kill everything? Does that kill the momentum? Does that kill the trajectory of the team? And like, I just don't think the stakes are that high for this team. <laughs> I just, I just don't think they are. And so I, I'm with you. I kind of think, yeah, give, give me the rest. Give me the, give me the the, t- the practice time, uh, more time to gel. I, you know, I, I think the penalty kill issues are different I, I think that's more youth. I think that's personnel. I, you know, Cody Glass being on the penalty kill now is interesting. Like, I, I there's, I, I don't know. I think the penalty kill again. They give up three for six. They give up a goal against Philadelphia. They're now seventy five percent. They're t- back down to twenty fifth in the NHL. Still one of the worst power plays in the league or penalty kills in the league. I think that's more of a function of youth and personnel in the system versus anything else. I, maybe they just don't have the right personnel for a great penalty kill or Andrew Burnett's system doesn't allow them to focus on that. I, I don't know. Like he's, he's very hands-on with the power play. And so I don't know if his system is conducive to being hands-on with the penalty kill. I, I don't know. I don't know what you make of the the special teams issues. Yeah. I feel like Brunette's really kind of taken hold, taken charge of the power
1: play and kind of implemented what he wants to see. And Dan Hino is running the, the penalty kill. And they they have games and stretches where it's like, oh, this looks really good. Like, good job, Dan Hino. You're doing a great job here. And then they have games like last night where it's just it, I don't even know how to how to describe it. It was just some of the worst hockey I've seen from their PK unit this year. And you look at who was on the PK units. Lozon and McDonough led the team uh, among defensemen in in shorthanded time. And Then you had Carrier playing three minutes and Fabro playing two minutes. Nothing against Dante Fabro. But he's not a high caliber penalty killer. When you have him playing two sh- two minutes of shorthanded hockey, that's usually probably not very good. And I, th- and I just I can't help it when I'm watching when I'm watching Alex Carrier on the penalty kill, he looks like a different player than when he's playing even strength five on five, whatever you want to call it. He he had three minutes of shorthanded ice time last night, and he just he he looks slower when he's on the PK. And I don't know if it's because other teams power plays they just put their fat some of their fastest skaters on the ice or what it is but Carey looks like he's a step slower when he's on the pk than when he's playing even strength and you look at Lowe's on mcdonough they they usually fare pretty well mcdonough's probably the best penalty killer on on the team or the team's probably had in a while since uh matias echo but just you got to do something differently you can't just expect ryan mcdonough to carry your pk every game and then you look at the forwards you have michael mccarron ryan o'reilly uh, Colton Sissons and Cole Smith and those are usually your your penalty killing forwards and in they seem to be doing okay but there's just I don't know what it is where they have these stretches where they play really good then they have games like last night where they just can't do
0: anything right yeah Lozon in particular not not a great game uh last night so well again I don't I, I I'm just curious like like you said, they had some stretches where they were good, and they went from like twenty eighth in the NHL to like twenty first in the NHL in the penalty kill. Now they're back and, down to twenty sixth, and now they're back down. And so I wonder if it's just a function of the system, the youth, and the talent. And if you put it all together, and you have a team that plays a fast style, that occasionally with young players can get loose and undisciplined. You know that that's just going to lead to too many power play opportunities, and you're just not good enough in that department. And and we'll get to this, but you see, Soros. Had you know, UC Saros had some has a, has had a great stretch here, and it coincided with this team's winning streak. He he's he's also been pulled a bunch, and we're going to have a longer conversation about UC Saros. So, I don't know. I, I wanted to ask you a, a random question. I didn't put this on the rundown for us to talk about, but I wanted to ask you what you thought because I was looking at the standings, and for Nashville to still be you know thirty five games in, three games above five hundred, and in the first wild card spot, tied with Arizona. I do think there is starting to be a separation in the Western Conference, though. And so when you talk to players, they'll tell you that February is the toughest year, the the month of the year, that it's just a slog. They've got to fight their way through it. It's the, the toughest month to, f- to focus on because you're coming off the holiday season. You probably busted in January, but then you realize you're still a month away from March, which is still a month away from eight, Like February is like the, the... like What do they call it? Like the... Um, the doldrums or the dead days, or what do they call it? I'm I'm forgetting the phrase here. The dog days of summer is like the phrase, right? For for baseball players, it's the dog days of February. And you're starting to see a little bit of a separation, right? Like the the avalanche, the jets, the stars, they're all up there at 45, 44 points. There's a little bit of a gap between those three and the rest of the division. You, You know, you got Vancouver's playing great hockey, Vegas and Los Angeles at 49, 47, 44 at time of taping. Again, there's a big nine-point separation between those three and the rest of their division. Edmonton is playing better hockey, seven of their last ten, and I think Edmonton gets back into that top tier. But if those six teams... like, Do you think those six teams... I mean, those six teams were largely considered to be the best six teams outside of maybe maybe Winnipeg going into the year. I I think over the course of the next four or five weeks, we could see some separation in in the conference. Yeah, I,
1: I do. I've always been... I've always felt that January is kind of the time when teams separate themselves and when you 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 start to get a better feel for who's a legit playoff contender and who's just like overachieved for the first month or two of the season and then coming back down to earth. Like we, we know the Avalanche and the Stars are going to be probably two of the top three teams in the Central, if not the top two. Winnipeg, I feel like, is one of those teams that kind of like Nashville has to prove, OK, are you legitimate or are you just kind of a pretender? I'm not I'm still not sold on Winnipeg. I know that they're they're technically in second place. They're right there with Dallas. I'm just I'm still not sold on on the Jets as being a true bona fide playoff contender. Maybe if they continue this run and they show that it's sustainable what they're doing, then maybe I'll be a little bit of a believer. Again, the coyotes, they're still they're they're coming out of their rebuild and they're starting to get to where it's like, okay, they're for real. They have some serious guys, they have Logan Cooley, they have other, they have other top prospects that are finally in the NHL and playing well. And I think the Predators are right there, too. They, they have 19 wins, 38 points. I feel like it's it's the Coyotes, the Predators, the Blues and the Jets. Really, this is kind of January is going to be the month where we find out which one of those and if any of those teams are actual legitimate threats in the playoffs or if they just kind of overshot what they were supposed to be doing the first couple months. And now they're kind of regressing to the mean. And I do think you're right. Edmonton. Probably going to end up going on a win streak. It's just hard to count out McDavid and Settle. I do think they will eventually become yeah. one of the top three te- teams in the Pacific. And when when the playoff re- playoffs roll around, Edmonton's not a team you want to see. I
0: mean, again, enjoy it while it's happening. I, would, I don't think Arizona and Nashville have true staying power. But, and we told
1: you, we told everyone this was going to happen. When right. they were on that 13-4 and four run, we said, hey, this is great. Enjoy it while it lasts. But they are eventually going to come back down to earth
0: at some point. Minnesota's one won four straight St. Louis has won three straight and it's all pretty tightened up. Now all four of those teams within two points, I would bet on Minnesota and St. Louis, certainly Minnesota probably maybe finishing ahead of both Arizona and Nashville, but we'll see, but this the next way, the, five, way, the next way
1: things go for the predators, I would not be surprised if somehow, some way John Hines and the Minnesota wild squeak past the predators know, for that final playoff spot.
0: Oh God. Wouldn't that be a hilarious podcast to do at the time? Um, Okay. Go to Jasper's, of course. Uh, is It's as entertaining as a Russian bathhouse in Chicago, uh, and of course, the burgers are better. The parking is free. Uh, it's not as culturally significant to Nashville as maybe a Russian bathhouse is to the Russian hockey player and community. But you know what? We're trying to make it that here in Nashville. We're trying to make Jasper the part of the cultural fabric of the community. Great drink specials. Great, great um, uh, game room, of course. Uh, and yes, excellent, excellent queso. So go to Jasper's, everybody. Uh, okay, so UC Soros. Um I, I just what what do you think? How, how do you feel UC Soros has played this year? I want to start very broadly before we, we dive any deeper. How do you feel like he's played?
1: It's it's such a tough question to answer because it, it really is com- compartmentalized. The first I would say from the, the season opener up until mid-November. He was average, maybe even a step below average, because he was giving up. I mean, there were a lot of games where he's giving up a lot of goals—six goals, five goals. He's been pulled. I don't know how many times this year. And then there was a stretch from mid-November to, to like mid-December, a little bit right before Christmas, where he was playing like the Saras that we know, where he's he had I don't know what six straight games with a save percentage in the 950s, like. And then he comes back. He has he has a rocky game against Dallas. Um, and then he has last night's game where he gave up five goals, and I mean, it's never good when you're looking at the at the box score and you see a 7.37 save percentage. And unfortunately for Saros, that's what the second time in the last four games he's had a save percentage in the 70s. I know we've talked about how he's just a, a slow starter, and that kind of happens. But I think now we're getting past the point of oh, it's just a slow start, and now you, you start to worry a little bit. I'm not saying sound the alarm, trade the guy, excommunicate him from from the team, or whatever, but. Now's the time where you start to worry because he's he's giving up a lot, he's giving up more soft goals than I think he has at any point in his run with the Predators. And I don't know if it's we talked about Tyson Berry just not being a sit, uh, fit for the system Andrew Burnett wants to run. I think now we start to question is UC Saros really a goaltending fit for the system that Andrew Burnett likes to run because he had a really good stretch, an elite stretch for the the two, three weeks or whatever it was when they won 13 of, of 17 or whatever. But now I think you start to worry a little bit. There's there's a lot of four or five goal games where he's just allowing soft goals and the defense. You you want to blame the defense because that's just usually what you do. Pecorino had a bad game. It was more than likely the defense's fault. I think that's just kind of that's what this fan base is used to. But I think now is the time where you kind of stop defending Saros as much because he's 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 allowing some really soft goals that quite frankly he should be making saves and you don't know if he's if that's the norm or if he's just going through a really, really long rough patch.
0: So he is just three. She's, he's just four starts remove from a stretch where he went 10 and one with a 933 save percentage and two goals per game. Yeah. That, that that was the stretch. But here's the here's the problem. He is now he's been pulled twice of the, in two in the last four against Vancouver and against Carolina. He played 40 minutes and basically was pulled it at, uh, at the end of the second period. Both times um, that was on the heels of being pulled against Edmonton very early in the year where he made it 18 minutes in the game, gave up four goals in 18 minutes and was pulled against Minnesota, giving up four goals in 21 minutes. So it's the fourth time in 28 games that he has been pulled. And even with that that 11-game stretch where the numbers were off the charts, and they did win 10 out of 11, and, they, and he was phenomenal, here are his numbers on the season. Number one in the NHL in games played, number one in the NHL in shots against, that's your point to the Andrew Burnett system, and number one in saves. Also, a reflection of the amount of shots he's taking. He's fifteen and thirteen. So, uh, based on the number of games played, he's going to have some wins, and and he's top five in wins. His nine oh five save percentage is thirty sixth amongst all goaltenders with at least seven starts. He is he's got a two ninety four goals against average. That's thirty fourth amongst all goaltenders with at least seven starts. So, those are not starters necessarily, but. I'm not counting anybody that had like two starts, three starts, five starts. It like people that have been like more regularly at routinely in the net, at least once a week, let's say, or once every other week. So I said at least seven. I don't know. You could move that up to a minimum of ten starts if you wanted to, and he might move up a few spots. But he's basically not a starting goaltender statistically right now. Yeah, and so think... go ahead. Now you go ahead. Well, ultimately, my question I because I think it's two things can be true at the same time. That I am not worried about his numbers. I'm not worried about his quality of play or his, you know, whatever. Like, I'm not worried about UC Soros and his talent. I'm just not. But also, I think it might be time to have a serious conversation about trading him. And right now, it feels stupid because the team's in a playoff spot and he's playing poorly in this last little week here, this last stretch. But if you get him, if he gets, if he goes on another 10 1 run like that, Obviously, the team's in very good position, so it's harder to trade him. But it also means his value's higher. I think the other element here that no one's talking about, he's due $5 million next year, and then you have to make a big, big decision. And right now, he is a very, very high-level asset to your team. I think it is rocket fuel on the rebuild if you can trade him and get an extremely high target, high value asset and return draft pick and a prospect or young player. There's no reason why you wouldn't be able to get a whole lot back for UC Soros. And I don't love the idea. I don't like trading UC Soros because in theory, you could resign him after next year, probably pay him in the six or $7 million range, and he could be your goaltender for the next five years. But I also think, selfishly, I want Yaroslav Askarov to be the starting goaltender for the Nashville Predators sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of the the crossroad where the where the team is at right now. And it, it, it's tough because Barry Trotz has already made it known that. Top of his priority list this year, this offseason is sitting down with Saros agent and getting a long term deal worked out. He's already said that he's he's let them know that's his intention. He's already they've already had. I don't want to say they've had preliminary discussions, but they've already talked about talking about having an extension. And I think Saros wants to be here and it makes sense. He's been an elite goaltender for the last four or five years. And I think Barry Trotz is very much of the mindset, but if you're choosing between a, a proven commodity and potential of another player, you go with what, you know, is already, the player you already know is good as opposed to risking it on a player that could be good, but also might not be good. And I think that's kind of where we're going to see this, this, this thing head. I've also just been talking to a couple people I just get the sense that they may not be completely sold on Askarov, and it's not because of his ability in the net; it's because of his personality. Traditionally, this this franchise does not like personalities. PK Subban, probably the the one lone exception. They do not like big personalities that kind of transcend the team. And I think Askarov we've seen has has that potential with bench pressing the goal and all the crazy antics he does whenever he wins and all all the stuff he's done in Milwaukee. So I wonder if. Part of that factors into do they want to tie themselves, have the face of the franchise, be a guy that is a bit of a goofball that does some few things that get a few laughs and maybe takes some attention away from the team and away from the game and puts it on himself. I don't know if that's something that's going to factor in here or not, but it's definitely something to, to keep an eye on. Um, and I think uh, looking at Saros's, or excuse me, at Ascaro's numbers, he's playing pretty well in Milwaukee. I mean, he's, he's been limited. He's only played 15 games. He he was injured for a couple weeks there. But he's eight, six and 1, a 2.45 goals against average, uh save percentage that's almost 9'10. Like he's he's playing pretty well. I, and I think we, I mean, really, look, we've seen this kid in development camp. We've seen him at the rookie showcase preseason. Like the consensus is he has it. He's going to be good. And I think what we're looking at here, we're going to find out probably in the offseason, is do, does Barry Trotz want to tie himself to UC Saros for the next five, six years? Because, like you said, he's making $5 million now. I think the standard is going to be Connor Hellebuck's deal for whatever extension Saros gets. He's going to probably top Pecarina's seven-year, $49 million contract that he got way back when. Do you want to pay that much money to a goalie, or is it better to trade the goalie when arguably his trade value has never been higher? You get back what you think is going to be an elite prospect, probably a first-round pick and maybe a mid-round pick or another B-level prospect. Is that is that return better for the franchise long-term than re-signing Saros and riding with him for the next five, six, seven years? All
0: right, there's a lot there, Michael. And one thing I want to
1: point out, too, in this tying, trying to tie this all together, I don't think you worry about Saros from his skill set standpoint. I don't think his skills are diminished. I think he's still really good. It's just the the way the game is being played in front of him. Can he adapt to that? Because it's a lot different than what he's been used to. And I think one thing that kind of accentuates that is out of his, excuse me, out of his 13 losses, nine of them have been in multi-goal games. He's only had... it was four or five losses that have been one goal games. And usually when you, when you're talking about stars losing games, it's usually close games. There's been a lot
0: more blowouts this year. So if the personality and not wanting your goaltender to have a larger than life personality is a part of their evaluation process in a negative, I I would be pretty upset about that. Um, Part of the reason PK Subban worked is because Nashville is a personality driven city where we are full of creatives and non traditional like the, the the entire organization is non-traditional by definition and having a I, I don't know if it's like Dominic Hashik or what kind of personality he might be, but you know he's listening to hip-hop to learn English and he's traveling to Chicago during the Christmas break and again, I think I hear the phrase Russian bathhouse and I immediately go to like, you know, Carrie Russell and the Americans or whatever, like some, some crazy clandestine thing. It's not, it's just a young guy going and hang out with people that he can speak his language with and enjoy a cultural part of Russian society here in America. Sounds also like someone needs to open one in Nashville is what it sounds like with Yakov Trenin and all these guys. <laughs> like so, so, there's a market opening in, in Nashville for a Russian bathhouse, apparently, uh, but it's an important part of Russian culture. And like, he, he, you know, I like that he's just open to talk about this stuff. I think the personality is great. And I think if you have a goaltender, ultimately the entire decision needs to be based on if you think he's really good. Like if Barry Trotz and Andrew Burnett and whoever's in charge, Vander Clock, whatever, if they think he's got the goods, then you trade Soros. And you trade Soros now and you let and take over until Askarov is ready. He made his home debut, of course, against Carolina, made six saves, whatever. But he, but he, But if everyone is in agreement, that he clearly has what it takes to be the starting goaltender, there's a chance he's better than UC Soros, which is crazy to say about a young player. But he's not far off from being ready, guys. If he's playing with those numbers in the AHL and he's getting called up to fill in when Kevin Lincoln is sick, he's not far off from being ready to start playing more regularly in the NHL, which means you're actually hitting a pretty perfect window in UC Soros' situation. He's either going to teach a scar off for a year and a half and then walk and you get nothing for him and a scarf takes over or you're gonna give him a huge contract and you're gonna have to i guess ride with him into his early 30s which you never know some goaltenders can play deep into the 30s some can't i would assume uc saros's body and flexibility and sort of style of play allows him to play longer than some of these bigger guys but ultimately if you've got a guy that could be as good that is younger that is cheaper And that is more vibrant and more interesting. Let's just be very honest. Like, he is a fascinating dude. He is a personality I want on the team. If I'm a fan of the team, I like the neck tattoos and the and the style and the person. Like, I want that. I think that's interesting. And if he is better or could be better, or the upside's there, or he's ready in the next, let's say, let's say he's he's probably not ready right now, but let's say he's ready by the end of the year. This is the time to start shopping UC Sorrows. Because he's still young and he's very affordable. He's got a year and a half left on a contract. That is an extremely valuable asset on the trade market. And I don't like thinking about it or doing it, but you are in a unique situation to have the guy ready to go to take over. And he could be, he could check every box that you'd want. And if the team doesn't value his personality, I think the team is wrong on that.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you go back and I, I get it. It was David Poyle making the calling the shots, not Barry Trotz, but you, you pick this kid 11th overall in a pretty deep first round of a draft. I mean, and goaltending wasn't even really a need because that was when Saros was really starting to emerge as one of the top goaltenders in the NHL, but you spent the 11th overall pick on this guy. So clearly you saw something in him and he's been called the next carry price. I mean, he's been heralded as like the, the, the second coming here. And I, I, I personally, just from having watched him over the last couple of years, talking to him at development camp and rookie camp over the last couple of years, I I, I don't know anyone that that watches him play and doesn't think that he has that it factor. He has the swagger. He has the confidence. He has the skill set. He does some things in, in, in the goal that are just amazing to watch, just some of his movement and just the way he tracks the puck and everything like that. And I think this is set up perfectly for them if this is the route they want to go. I think Askarov will be ready for NHL duty next year. And I think it's set up perfectly to what you had in 2016 17, where you have Rene starting 61 games and Saros starting 21. And then you move into the next regular season, you have Rene starting 59 games, Saros starting 26. And then it moves more to like an even split as, as Rene is getting older. I think it's set up for that. And I just, I don't know what they're going to do. I think that's the toughest part here because I, I feel like Barry wants to go with Saros. But I feel like the fan base is ready to trade Soros, get back what you can for him because it's gonna be a really good prospect or two and a really high draft pick. And and roll with a off because he's he's the unknown. He's he's funny, he's quirky, he's really good, he's got all this potential, he's a lot younger, he's gonna be a lot cheaper for a lot longer than Soros <clears throat> is. You're already paying him five million probably gonna have to pay him close to 8 million next year. I think that's something to keep in mind too, with all the dead cap, the predators are carrying and you're going to be paying $8 million to a goaltender that might affect some of the UFAs and the RFAs that you can bring back that you like a Yakov Trendon, for example, or someone like that too. There's, there's so many different pieces that go into what does a Saros extension look like? Who else does it affect beyond just the goaltender? And then you have to to factor in, okay, if you, if you're committing, say you sign Saros to a five year, $8 million contract extension, like, okay, does that, does that mean in five years you're going to, a Scarf is going to take over? Is the going to wait, want to wait five years before he gets no. his first NHL starting gig? No. Like his agent's going to try and probably want to want to trade sometime in that in that timeline too. There's there's a lot of factors to keep in mind w- with this situation.
0: So let's say it's a four-year, $8 million deal, 34 by four by eight, 32 million. That would be age 31, 32, 33, and 34. Now here's the ultimate question. Could you still trade UC Soros midway through that deal? And do the thing that you're talking about, where Askarov gets the UC Saros treatment, where he is, like you said, like he maybe next year he starts like 10 games, and then that's the last year of UC Saros's five million dollar deal. Then in the first year of his new contract at age 31, Ascaroff's getting 25 games, and then midway through that second year is when you're st- like you you can't you can't have him as a backup for three straight seasons. So midway through that third year. Which would be halfway through his new contract, you have to begin to transition away from UC Soros. And so at that point, the only option is a trade. So again, I what do what do you what do you want to see him do? Do you want to see him resign UC Soros and just forget, give up on a scar off? Because I don't think you can resign him and say he's gonna be your goaltender through age 34 for the next six seasons and just keep a scar off on the on you, you have to trade him at that point. And sure, he will also bring you a, a big return. But wouldn't you rather restart the clock with somebody who might be just to have a little bit more upside? Yes, he's less proven, but have more upside and is cheaper and younger? I, I don't know. Like I, I I, think now is the time. This de- this trade deadline might be the time to do it.
1: Yeah, and I, if you're asking me personally what I would do, I would trade Soros either at this deadline or in the offseason. I would not start next season with him as your starting goaltender. And I say that because... If this team is truly committed to, I don't think you want to call it a rebuild right now. I think they're going with a reset or whatever. But if you if you want to if you if this team is truly committed to this regime change, that's what I'll go with. You're looking at some of the players that are the new core of this roster: Novak's 26, Parsons 22, Tomasino's 22. Um, Who's playing better hockey? Tomasino, by the way, playing better hockey. So yes, definitely. Evangelista's 21. And then you look at some of the, the defensemen, it's it's either going to be one of Carrier or Faber is going to be here next year. So that's they're 27 and 25. I, I just think with with the new core of this team in the, the early to mid 20s, it makes sense to go with a goaltender that's also in that same age range. UC Saros' his trade value is never going to be higher than it is right now. He's he's coming off two or three years where he I think he was a Vezina finalist in one of those years. And he should have been last year. I think he finished fourth. You're, you're talking about a goaltender. I just can't see a team giving up a bounty for a 31 or 32 year old goaltender, which is when in your proposed scenario, when they would be looking to trade Soros, if it's a year or two and into, into whatever contract extension it is. I And again, you, you don't know if a scarf is going to be the next big thing, but it feels like at this point he, it, he is going to. And I think if, if you b- truly believe that, then you push all your chips into the center and you go with that. You spent the 11th overall pick on the kid. I, I if, I, if it was me, I would trade Saros. I would get back whatever haul you can get because you are you have a bunch of draft picks still from when David Poyle left. You you have the best farm system you've ever had. You have a lot of these players, Joachim Kemmel, Svechkov, a lot of these guys in the AHL. They're probably going to be on your roster in a year or two. It would make sense to have your goaltender be the same age as the core you're rebuilding with as opposed to having him coming out of his prime or kind of dropping off from his peak as the rest of your team is right in the middle of their prime. Just makes sense to me.
0: Yeah, I don't like that I agree with that and that's how I thought and that's how I think when I see the personality of Scaroff, I see the talent I see Saros getting pulled four times. I think of the team and, and ultimately here's kind of also a big part of the conversation. You, you have to be honest with yourself and it's hard if you are Barry Trots and fans. Is this team, as it is currently constructed with UC Saros, going to win a Stanley Cup? Is it going to win a cup this year? Probably not. Is it going to win a cup next year? Probably not. Could it be good enough to something magical happens the year after that? Maybe. And UC Saros then becomes a critical piece, but that's also the first year of a new contract for him. So the question is: Is does this transitionary rebuild reset thing that's happening? Does it all sort of perfectly align? with the end of the UC Soros era in Nashville. And I don't like the idea of that. I don't like the idea of Soros being gone. But sometimes in every sport, except for really football, in every sport, you have to give up on some of your best pieces to sort of pour rocket fuel, a jet fuel onto the rebuild fire. And if you trade UC Soros, and Askarov is the guy and works maybe let's say by midway next year he's sort of the full-time starter right or maybe even by the end of next year he's the full-time starter i i would assume you're going to get so much good in return that it that it that it truly does kind of like wrap up the rebuild does that make sense like it sort of puts the finishing touch on the rebuild now you've got all the pieces you've got the coach you've got the new goaltender you've got all the forwards yes you probably need another defense prospect in there somewhere, probably to fill out the the farm system. And it's, it can't all be just my guy, Tanner Molendyke. But I I think, I think you can finish the entire rebuild with one fell swoop, if that makes sense. And yes, it probably does cost you games this year. And it probably does cost you games next year. But again, I think it takes a real honest conversation with yourself saying like, are we really going to win a cup this year? Or are we a team that's sort of 19 and 16? And going to be a couple games over five hundred, and maybe be an eight seed, maybe not, maybe not make the playoffs, and and not gonna, we're not going to win a Stanley Cup championship. So, I, I don't know, I, I don't know. I think that's that's sometimes hard to do. So,
1: yeah, this is probably the most polarizing topic uh, surrounding this team right now is what to do with Soros because he's, I think he's twenty eight, he's about to be twenty nine, he'll be thirty going into the final year of his contract, and that's kind of. I know I know hockey's a little bit different than football where you you're you can delay your career a little bit where 30 isn't looked at like you're...
0: Well Hilton I I I, mis- I made a mistake. He'll turn 30 at the end of his at, at the end of next season. So he's t- he's birthday's in April so he turns 29 at the end of this season. He'll turn 30 at the end of next season. Yeah. So he'll turn 31 at the end of his first year of the new deal. So I kind of misspoke there a little bit. He'll play most of that year as a 30-year-old. So I was a li- I was it's still tough to see a team giving up uh, an elite prospect
1: and, a, and or a first round pick or whatever for a goaltender that's in his 30s. It's it's just it's tough to see that happening, yeah. which is why I said his his trade value is probably never going to be higher than it is right now. And it the tough part about the situation is there are really good points for keeping Saros and there are equally good points for trading him. And it, it's I don't want to say there's no wrong answer. I feel like both have their merits. It's just it's tough because you you don't know what Barry Trotz is thinking, and ultimately, it's going. I think it, I think it depends more so on Trotz's personal
0: preference than it does the actual skill set of the players. And, and the other thing is, so much of it depends on what your internal evaluation is of him. Because let's be very clear, we know this about general managers and quarterbacks. We know this about general managers and coaches. If they didn't pick them, sometimes they are not nearly as loyal to them. And Barry Trotz did not draft a Scaroff. So oh. I, I know he didn't draft Saros, but like, you know, he's a proven commodity in the NHL. He's, he's a star player on the team. So maybe the best player on the team. Um, so it, it, anyway, I just, there's a lot of moving parts here with this. It's very complicated, but it is one. I think it is ultimately the most important decision the franchise has to make over the course of the next 18 to 24 months. And it could involve an extension trading a Scar off, it could involve trying to pair them together. And then maybe it's perfect for both sides, but then you don't gain as many assets. Maybe you gain experience and wisdom for Iskarov. But I do think every time I see him in the locker room, every time I see him on the ice, every time I see the way the fans react to him, every time I see the way the media reacts to him, his personality, the vibrance, Nashville deserves Yaroslav Then <laughs> Nashville deserves him. And it's not that they don't deserve UC Saros. He's great. He's fun, kind, nice person who is absolutely been great for this organization and for the community. And I think he's a great, I think he's a great guy, but I, I just think there's, there's something, there's just something different about Ascaroff. <laughs> he's
1: got a personality and he's so, and speaking as a reporter. He is a lot, nothing against Saros. I, I love him. I'm not trying to down him in any way, but oh, a you star love, you it, love, you just professed
0: your love for a player that you cover. That's wild.
1: Yes. Uh, as a person. Um, I, I can honestly say Saros has never been snappy or rude or just no. been a hole to, to any question he's been asked. Even if he doesn't agree with the question, he'll answer it without being a dick. Ascarov, though, just it's another level of an interview where it's just he's funny and he's he's got these answers. Sometimes he just hits you with an answer you don't expect. And so
0: from a, a media perspective, like Ascarov is the more fun player to interview. I, I just Jaspers, I'm just telling you, Jaspers, there's an opening in the market for like a Russian bathhouse in the back parking lot there at Jaspers. I'm just saying, like, you got some Russian players on the team, you know you, you got Nashville hockey now you got you got a you got a a guy you work with and Clay whose wife's Russian speaks Russian right so yeah. like let's let's get some let's get some let's fill the
1: hole in the market here Jaspers Jasper is cornering the market on on Russian in, in Nashville Russian
0: bathhouse I'll go I'll go check it out I'll go have a good time I got no problem with that Um so uh, go to Jasper's also a good time free parking as well What do you have uh, over on the website this week for everybody uh going into the New Year holiday We are going to have today we have
1: a story up on Matthew Wood and his performance in the World Juniors yesterday. Canada demolished Latvia 10-0. Um, Matthew Wood had a goal, should have had two goals, got robbed on a tip in on one, but a goal, th- uh, three points, um, which is weird because he only played 10 minutes and he was the extra, the 13th forward. But they they're using him in like this shot specialist thing where they're basically like, OK, go out there and just shoot. Because if you haven't watched Matthew Wood, on the world juniors he's having trouble adjusting to the bigger ice over there his skating looks he looks a little wonky when he's skating out there so as opposed to putting him in positions where he could turn the puck over and be a defensive liability they're more so putting him on the power play and letting him go out there and just shoot which is great for him because that's what he does best um so we have a story up there with some videos of his goals and his assists and stuff we will have a plus minus from last night's game against the hurricanes it's gonna be talking about all the good and bad things more more bad than good and then we're going to we're gonna have more world juniors coverage the rest of the week and then we're going to I'm going to dive into what what's kind of led to the souring of the relationship between
0: the Predators and Dante Fabro. Oh, there you have it. Good stuff there. Nice tease to end the show. Uh, otherwise, uh, you got Detroit and Washington back to back. I don't have I just checked my email box. I don't have any news about Eskaroff being sent back down. Uh, so as of now, there's a chance uh, we're recording this on Thursday morning. There's a chance he could play in the back to back if Kevin Lincoln is not back healthy yet. Uh, but keep an eye on those emails, Michael. will see uh, yes. if he if he gets sent back down to Milwaukee, and then of course Lankanin will get the start in the back to back. But it, it, you got you got Detroit and Washington, of course, on Friday and Saturday, and then Tuesday at home against Chicago. So uh, give the Russian a start, man. Give the Russian a start. That's what I want to see in Nashville. That would be, I guess, both of them are on the road, the back to back. So it wouldn't be in Nashville. So there you go. All right. Uh, special thanks to Jasper Jasper's Nashville Hockey Now as well. I made it through. The voice is still intact powering through uh for michael gallagher i am brain gall happy holidays everybody merry christmas you know happy hanukkah happy kwanzaa the festivus for the rest of us uh whatever it is you celebrate i hope it was a great one and uh, have a great new year otherwise we'll talk to you guys next week thanks for listening